Yeah, I tend to agree with agree with parts of both of your arguments. What strikes me is that the cultural differences in between Samsung and Apple and the the way they do business, the the way those those disparities manifest themselves is similar to weirdly to make it a little bit closer to home. You ever run a review late <laughs> all the time and while you're making a review, you're like you kind of look at the landscape and you see other reviews that got some things wrong. And then so you build that knowledge into your review. And as a result, your review is better, even though it was later. I feel like that's kind of how Apple does things. I, by the way, try to give credit whenever that happens. If somebody really took a lot of heat for getting something wrong, I'd be like, uh, I learned this from whoever over at wherever. I feel like that's the thing. Like nobody would have done it. You know, if every company was like Apple, I respect the way Apple does things. But if every company was like Apple, nothing would ever really change, right? It seems like Apple's got that great strategy that we always talk about of sitting back, watching things explode, then get a little better. And now, wow, they're really good, but we can actually do it a lot better. Let's leapfrog that generation. And now we're going to enter. It's very, it's very strategic. It's very smart. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and tech. And John, if you ever want to have a discussion about smartphones, or just just mobile technology in general. Or really anything in general, because I've spoken That's to true. these guests about life. We've reminisced on their histories and what got us to where we are. You know Doesn't why? To, don't pigeonhole this man. Do you know why you can speak to this man about anything? Tell me. It's the dulcet tones of his voice, sir. That is true. And it we're is a that sweet sounds. To the listeners today. Probably the sweetest sounding audio you'll listen to this week. It is geared up with special guest, Mr. Mobile Michael Fisher. How are you doing? Woo! Andrew, John, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, not a lot of people tell me my voice is so great. So thank you. Listen, what people don't know is that the Michael Fisher is putting on an accent in every video. And it's gotta be it's gotta be exhausting. No one's ever heard his real on, accent. To put that on it is, all, the, all the time. It is truly an ordeal. <laughs> it was like it's like we finally heard the founder of Theranos heard her real voice. It's like oh, we, get the, oh. we get that clip. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like we stick way with it. Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, it's great to be here, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much. And as always, I hope I can live up to the intro. You're always too kind. I mean, the topics that we have this week. Oh, yeah. I don't know that we could have a more perfect <laughs> guest. We're talking foldables. We're talking Pixel Six. We're talking the upcoming iPhone. Like this is prime Michael Fisher fodder. This is absolutely my bailiwick, as they say. Yeah. And don't worry, I've come prepared with the both Foldy Boys in is. the booth today. So as have I, as have I. Before we get into the news, we were just talking before we started about how long it's been since we've seen each other. Now, John and I, we do this podcast almost weekly. We see each other's face regularly. I see Angie's face way too much. I mean, right. I think it's what it boils down to. But we were just saying, like, we haven't seen you at least in any in any fashion other than like social media since the last time you were on the show i was going to say since the last time and this booth was in a totally different studio in brooklyn we were still under the uh kind of overcast hopelessness of the never ending quarantines it was a very different world when we last spoke and i'm happy to see that you both made it and both look great i mean we've, all, we've made it we've all we've all gotten through this uh this far but the best part of the events for anybody that that's maybe not in the space that's listening is sort of seeing your fellow creators, seeing your friends that you've known for years. And the pandemic, while sort of robbing people of seeing family and friends, has sort of robbed us of, of seeing our friends in the space. So it's always nice to, to virtually see people that we kind of, for lack of a better word, grew up with. 
It is. Wow. Yeah, no, true. I mean, definitely in this particular act of my life, I do feel like I grew up with y'all particularly. I mean, we were just talking off mic about how there was a Motorola event this week, and I'm sorry that I didn't get to see either of you there, but you're 3,000 miles away, so yeah. I understand why you didn't come out. But it was great to see about 30 of the usual suspects in the same room again and just kind of catch up in person in that kind of way that, that you mentioned, John. It is very special, and it's nice to have a little bit of that back. I wonder if outdoor stadiums is the new like event place, right? Like it's outdoors, there's fresh air. Like I wonder yeah. if those huge indoor events are- We're heading into the winter. Yeah, are ever going to be a thing again, though. Listen, do them in California. I'm going to do a little uh, monthly Airbnb rental out there on the, yeah. on the left coast. I'm down. Or, you know, University of Hawaii's got a beautiful stadium. <laughs> throw, to, to any brands out there listening, your attendance will be through the roof. <laughs> What's interesting, that just hit me. Like, I know, I think all three of us came from a journalism background before becoming video creators. And I always felt during that time in my life where it was just doing written word and articles that there was a competitive nature, a very competitive nature when everybody kind of got together versus in the video creator world, when I get together with people, I just feel like I'm amongst my friends. I feel no, yeah, there's no competitive feeling. It's like everybody, it's more collaborative. I don't know why that is, why that difference is, but it's definitely there. Do you guys feel that? Absolutely. I mean, we. I feel like I talk about this a lot. John, you and I have talked about it before, yeah. too. It's like the audience, the available audience is so vast. It's not like a zero-sum game where we all feel like we're chasing after the same tiny slice of people. And if they watch my video, well, they'll, they'll never watch yours. There's not the need for that kind of competition. And in its place, we get a collaborative spirit that results in real friendships, which surprised me. Back, I mean, I used to come to events and be like, you know, these are my tech friends. I don't really whatever. I talk about real stuff with my theater <laughs> friends. But that changed years and years ago, and I'm very grateful it did. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I've seen, I've seen Michael and Andrew hold cameras for other folks, run audio, even do, you know, quick short edits for people. There really isn't. I always feel like it raises all ships, right? Like, exactly. Yes. yes. If Michael's video blows up, maybe I'll be the video that gets recommended at the end. There you go. You know, and, then, and, then everybody, and then everybody wins. I mean, I don't mind attaching myself to coattail. So it, ten, it tends to work out. tends to work out very well for everybody. Well said. Nice. Vice versa, usually, but well said. <laughs> so let's get into some, not just news, but thoughts, opinions. So Galaxy Z Flip and Galaxy yes. Z Fold 3. Let's start with the flip. Got it. Because I, I feel like Have it. it's very interesting. As I admitted last week, I was wrong about the flip. It's about time. I was, I was wrong about the Z Flip 3. <laughs> I don't think I was wrong about the Z Flip original nor Z Flip 5G. I do still feel that those phones, the coolest part of those phones was doing this. And the second you were done unfolding them, they were just a subpar version of the S20. That was just my opinion. That opinion no longer holds water when you build a, a in my opinion, a better, tighter, more durable, less expensive foldable that once unfolded really doesn't have the same compromises when compared to the the Galaxy S line. There are still some, but I just don't know that it just doesn't matter as much. Whereas before to me, it really did. Where are you guys at with this? We've been using them for about a week and a half or so. Just to clarify what you just said for people that might not know, when the Z Flip launched, it was came out when the S20 was out, and that was sort of Samsung's flagship line of the S series. But it had the camera setup from the S10. So it came out, it had an older older camera setup. I think that's 
probably where you're referencing what you were talking. And about. also, I believe it had an older processor as well. Like it didn't have the same flagship year processor. That's right. That didn't come around until the till the Z Flip five G. Yeah. So I'm gonna I will defer to our guests for first opinions. So I think Andrew, you're right. I think that the secret sauce with Z Flip three this year was that yes, it corrected a lot of the kind of compromises of previous generations and married that with an industrial design that feels and looks better and a price that like it's funny i don't know about you guys i tend to leave pricing for the end of my videos cuz it's kind of the way we've always done it but you cannot talk about this phone without in my opinion doing what i did which is four times in the video pointing out that it's 999 when you marry improvements with a lower price you're almost always going to get a better product a product that's more widely received and somewhere in there somewhere inside that combination of factors is is the reason that when I had to move on to the fold to start my next review after I put the flip down, I was actually a little sad. Look, I bought two of them. They'll be here soon. I still have the review unit right here, but not being able to spend all day with two it. Flips. Like I, you bought two flips. I did. I did. Now, why'd you do that? Two. Why two? So we have a review budget for Mr. Mobile where I buy the long-term review devices to see if they crack over time because that's what foldables still do. But then T-Mobile was like, hey, there's some trade-in offers. And I'm like, well, why don't I just look? I'm a T-Mobile guy. Let's just take a look. <laughs> just check it out. And just, just look at it. And I got a Z Flip 3 for free because I traded in an old phone and their trade-in deals are just ridiculous. And I said, you know what? I want it for myself. That's nice. So that's what I did. I like how you responded mentally the way like I respond when I'm full from dinner, but they offer me a dessert menu. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, I'll just look. I'm just looking. Bring it over. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> just give me the tiramisu. Yeah. <laughs> you know where this is going. Just order it for me. One of the most underrated things about Samsung phones, I think, at first, when you kind of tipped on a little bit through T-Mobile, uh, their trade-ins are usually insane. I mean, amazing, insane. So even that $1,000 price, if you're not going from a carrier with a locked device, you can generally get a phone for four or 500 bucks if you have a decent working device to trade in. Yeah. And the fact that you could stack them this year was crazy. Yeah. What's interesting is what they offer, you wouldn't get on the secondary market like Craigslist or no. Swappa, right? Like usually what a brand offers you is less than what you would get if you did the work on your own. Right. And iPhones typically have the iPhones and iPads typically have the they're known for holding their value. Right. Sure. So if you put it on Craigslist, you'll get a higher price than if you had a similarly aged Galaxy device. And Samsung every year is like, well, we'll just take care of that. Yeah. yeah. Not only will we take care of it, we'll give you more than what you could probably sell your iPhone for today. And that's I don't, the thing, I don't right? get how they they must be losing money on this. I don't get it either. I mean, right now I'm on Samsung's site. You can select like an LG Velvet, right? And it's like, I don't know what the secondary market is for that. Actually, this is probably an example of the previous, the opposite of your example, Andrew. Like you can probably get more for a V60 on or a Velvet on eBay, but Samsung will still give you $150 for a V60 ThinQ, a phone that um, Crazy. has no future, you know what I mean? Like right. essentially, or has no no sequel, you know, from a brand that no longer plays in mobile. Meanwhile, and then you go over to, you know, if you want to trade in like, a, say a Pixel, you know, 4, you get 200 bucks for that, a Pixel 3a, 250 bucks. You stack about four of these together, which you can do, I think. Which is, which is crazy. That's yeah. nuts. Wow. Well, it's either two or four. I don't know which it is. I've stacked four on Amazon before to get a razor. Like you stack a bunch of these and you can walk away with one of these things for a couple hundred bucks when the starting price is, 
$999 or $1,700 for the fold. It's just nuts. Or $1,800. So, John, what were you going to say about your yeah. Butcher Z flip Sorry. experience? I have thoughts on the flip. And my thoughts are pretty similar to the first one. First, I love that it exists. I love that it's a phone that has viable options for people. I love they brought it up to par with their flagship, in quotes, their S21. From a camera standpoint, people can choose a form factor without paying a giant premium. And I always thought the future of foldables would happen when they become a mainstream device. When in fact, people can choose to buy and they don't have to choose because they can't afford it. It's still very expensive, obviously, but it's close to the same price, at least near a wash with the S21. I think that's amazing. Where I've loved Samsung foldables especially is what they're going to be in the future. I don't think there's any device that has such a clear roadmap for what each next version is going to be as the flip. You looked at it, you're like, this is awesome. It's going to be something. Clearly, it needs a bigger screen, right? Clearly, the cameras need to improve. Do you mean the inner screen or the outer screen? The outer screen, excuse me. Okay. The outer screen. Clearly, there needs to be an IP rating, and maybe eventually we'll get S Pen support. But again, this now, like, this is awesome. It still needs a bigger screen. Perhaps we could, we could get there. Maybe we'll see S Pen support. We've got it now in, in, in the fold. And you could just you could see these changes coming. I love that we're all a part of the sea change of devices and form factors. Foldables are not for everybody, but now they could be for anybody. I love that idea. All the people in the comments who said, I would never buy that, never buy that, now have a chance to buy it and choose and to make that choice. I think Samsung has done an amazing job democratizing. So it's got a little more extension than I expected. Uh, an amazing job <laughs> democratizing foldables. And that's where you can say Samsung has succeeded. And the more people that use this phone, that buy the phone, the more information they will get, the better we're going to have for the next gen. And I think that's amazing. And to piggyback on that, John, I think normally anecdotal evidence is a trap you don't want to fall into. You don't want to say, well, you know, I know you have a problem with this phone, but my friend has one and it doesn't have any problems. Like, exactly. It's, it's usually garbage. But there is so much anecdotal evidence this time around that the, from my perspective, that the user or the smartphone user base is interested in this particular iteration of flip like the tone everywhere in the comments is different the tone on reddit is different i even have gotten text messages from more than one friend who is not a tech person saying hey i know you cover phones and i saw that new flip i kind of want to get it and i'm like you are theater friend you don't talk to me about phones what are you talking about like it is remarkable the sentiment change this time around and i'm glad it's for the better i agree the rash of people who never use a foldable but were commenting on the crease or we're commenting on the, you have to run if sprinklers go off. Uh, you, know, you, have to, you know, you have to sprint to prevent any water from sort of ingressing into the phone. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of people who have been pretty hardcore iPhone users be tempted to look. This is something new, right? You want an iPhone, it's a rectangle. It's a better rectangle than last year's rectangle. Cameras are better than last year's rectangle, but it's still the same rectangle. Giving people that, that option is amazing. It's always sort of the bread and butter of Android. I think they're starting to get people to consider, especially as the wearable world gets better on Android. I really think that Apple's got to watch their back. So that's the Z Flip 3. I've seen the same sentiment. What interested me is that the amount of sentiment that's out there. There's so There's much more. The views on these videos for the Flip versus the Fold, I was shocked. Yeah. My Flip content has triple what the fold con i mean i didn't expect that i thought it would be the opposite just for mm -hmm. the the tech consumer early adopter crowd yeah but i've also seen it's our job to help people not do this i guess and to inform but i've seen so much misinformation i've seen almost as much misinformation about the z flip as i've seen about the csam protection coming to apple's cloud storage of photos basically so many people are saying who've never used a flip either 
this is just going back in time. We, we've already done with flip phones. This is the 90s again mm-hmm. to anecdotal. My friend had one and in three days that screen broke. Right. And I mean, thousands of comments like this as well. And it's just interesting that whether it's positive, negative, incorrect or correct, what Samsung has done here has definitely generated a conversation that the likes of which I really haven't seen in several years when it comes to a smartphone. Now, I mean, it's infectious, right? It's like, I make the point a couple of times in my video and I seem to say it every two hours on Twitter, but like fun should not be a characteristic that is automatically written off when you consider buying a phone. I think we've gotten used to it as as a buying public over the past decade of like, well, you know, I'd I'd love to get the flagship, but really this Moto G or whatever, this mid-range thing can do most of that. And if I can save the money, then I'll get this. And aren't they all just rectangles anyway? So somewhere along the line, like fun got dropped off the equation. So now when you suggest that maybe, maybe you buy a phone because it's different and stylish and fun and fits in your pocket better, Oh, well, well, who cares about that, really? Well, I think a lot of people, maybe. I think once we become used to having that option again, John, to piggyback on what you said, it's not just going to be a better rectangle every year. Well, then maybe this will be this will become a going concern. And I've, I've, of course, been hoping for that. Now we just need other manufacturers to come in and start giving Samsung some competition. Because right now, the only people in the clamshell space are Motorola. And we are not going to see another Razor by the end of the year, it looks like. There are... Two and a half generations of phone buyers out there that don't know the joy and the sheer joy and pleasure of hanging up a phone call by closing it Absolutely. and answering a phone call <laughs> by opening. And it sounds so silly, but there's like a visceral, especially yeah. if you're angry, if, like, if you're angry, there, there's, right, it's very, sure. it's very satisfying. Or like the wrist flick to open it, just to do the bam. Oh yeah, you got to do the communicator wrist flip. But yeah, boom. I tried to set a Bixby routine to play the Star Trek communicator chirp whenever it opens, <laughs> but it won't work. But John, not just phone calls, right? Ending any task. Anything. You were holding this thing at, at chest level, like you're doing your thing, and then you bring the other hand up, you just clap that thing closed when you're done. I got so used to it that I do it when I'm using slab phones now, and I almost drop them every time. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I just, I, I love it. I saw your tweet a while back about the setting that you could turn off. In there, and you're like, well, yeah. what kind of monster is turning that off? <laughs> Don't buy the phone if you. Yeah, turn is that what off. I want to. Don't you? T- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have a question for Michael, and I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Ju- maybe I'm jumping. Just do it. The itinerary here, Michael. You and I, I think, have an appreciation for older technology, right? You've got a whole oh, yeah. series focusing on older phones. Hundred percent. I've done a lot focusing on sort of other older devices. Yeah. I want to ask you, and I'm going to put you on on the spot here. Exciting. If you could revive any now deceased phone line then and give it modern to modernize it for 2021. Right. What phone or phone line are you bringing back? You know, we had the Razer come back. We did. We had the Razer come back. That would have been my answer, right? My second follow-up answer would have been that Verizon LG VX 9800 or whatever it was. They actually did bring back the LG Wing became that, right? So Thankfully, manufacturers have been going back to the well a little bit, and that's that's great. One thing we haven't seen brought back yet was the sidekick. That's I. Would that's really the it's really the only acceptable answer, right? Right, because <laughs> I was a Sidekick three user. I think we talked about this last time a little mm-hmm. bit, didn't we? Like, were you a Sidekick owner? Were either of you? I'm a hundred percent for no yeah. reason. I just wanted it. I wasn't a Sidekick owner because I wasn't on T-Mobile. I wasn't either. Uh, I just had it because I just needed it. I remember yep. saving up like two months of salary to afford it. How do you use phones back then if you weren't on the... It was a messenger. It was Remember, it was AIM. Mm-hmm. No, no. But what I'm saying is, okay, so back in the day I was on... So this was before... Now we're getting like super nerdy. Back in the day, if you were on Singular, then became AT&T, 
or Verizon, trying to make sure I'm having which two they were, you could not swap out SIM cards. You couldn't, but you could still go to T-Mobile and buy yourself a brand new sidekick and carry two phones. Absolutely. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so just so people know, nowadays, you just take a SIM card and put it in any phone you want to as long as it's unlocked. Back then, you oh, had yeah. to make a phone call. Hello, Verizon. I would like to use this other phone today, please. Yeah. Okay, that'll be a $30 charge okay. to activate the line for the day. It was Sprint and Verizon. Yeah, yeah you are overstating. You yeah, you are overstating that because anybody who uses Verizon knows the tragedy of CDMA. And trying to oh, switch man. any trying to switch any device. I'll do you one better. Nextel had SIM cards that allowed you to do swaps like we're talking about. And for a while, Nextel's policy was to disallow SIM swapping, so you had to call up. They essentially hobbled the process so that you had to call them so they could try to like, I don't know, upsell you stuff or something. They made up some yes. excuse. Yeah. Those I, were nightmare days. This is also the time when SIM cards were the size of guitar picks. <laughs> yeah. Can I add one phone that I, I bet a lot of audience has not heard of to bring back that I would love to see from a nostalgia standpoint? And I think they had the chops to the do Microsoft it. Microsoft Kin? Nope. Come on. <laughs> it's the StarTac. Oh, chops, absolutely. Oh, Which they've right? brought back twice. Yeah. Yeah, but the last time was like 13 years ago. I would love to see the StarTac again. It was a long time ago. A modern StarTac with maybe a Razor Twist or maybe the, the Razor StarTac, like a special edition version. Dude, yeah, what if they just repackaged the Razer 5G as a StarTac and just made 10,000 of them or something and sold them for 1000 bucks a piece? They would move. All of them. Old guys like us would it's buy just, them. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm done. The removable <laughs> battery on the back, clip the thing oh in. Oh, my God. I'd be, I'd yes. Be in. Yes. I have, oh, I have two. I have two answers here. Okay, let's hear it. I'm having trouble picking which one. And we just took the good ones, so good luck to you. Yeah, sorry no, no, I would. That. I would love to see a moderate... So, obviously... When we're going back in time, looking at these phones, the way I'm thinking of it is if that phone never died and continued getting modernized, sure. right? So like if you look at the iPhone 4 versus what it is today, there's been a lot of obvious you know, change. I would love to see what the Palm Pre would have become. Oh, had it never no, that's, oh, uh, Web OS, Web OS, ah. that like hurts my soul burning me so obviously the phone would have gotten bigger because that first one was super tiny back in the day it wasn't it was even tiny for back then but you know how would it have evolved into the age of larger smartphones would it still have the slide up if you want the hardware keyboard but slide it down and have all touchscreen the interface would have continued going so the palm pre and then i also cameras are such a big part of phones at least for the techies i would love to see and maybe it would run Android these days, but the Lumia that had the, I think it was like a 43 megapixel camera on the back. Was it that the yellow t- one? 1020. The 1020. There you go. I remember carrying that around and being so amazed at the photos I can get and also equally the opposite of amazed at the severe lack of apps that I could put on this Windows phone. <laughs> if it ran Android or if Windows phone never failed and it took off, what would it look like today to have a phone that was really almost, it's a camera with phone built in rather than a phone with right. camera built in. Super yeah. high quality, digital, like all that. What would that be like? Yeah. These days, it seems like the closest you can get to that are some of these like licensed branded offerings like OnePlus 9 Pro Hasselblad a little bit, but more like the Leica Leitz Phone 1. I don't know if I'm saying that right or Leitz Phone 1. Where it's like, oh, cool, I want that. Like the part of me that owned the 1020 wants that phone, this kind of photo first, very specific thing to make me want to live up to the phone and take great photos. It's a shame that 
nowadays. Like the 1020 was really cool because it had an amazing camera. And also Windows Phone was different and fun in a fun, interesting way. The Lights or Lights Phone 1 is an Android phone with a skin because of the homogenization of the whole yeah. space. It's, it's a lot less interesting. It's, it's a lot less fun these days. Michael, you obviously switch phones quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, more, more than most. Some <laughs> would even say you're a captain of carrying multiple phones. Oh, hey, I'll take that. But what's your process for switching Android devices? For not, like not manufacturer switching, you're not going Samsung to Samsung. Right. Yeah. I will use a manufacturer backup process sometimes, but I find that it, maybe 20 or 30% of the time it results in a weird bug. So I, I try not to do that very often, but yeah. I just use the backend stuff like Google. You know, it's, it's a pain to set up a new phone, as you know, it's not like, I think that's one thing, things that Apple gets really right about switching iPhone to iPhone, but I am also saved from a lot of the hassle because I use Google voice for my phone number and my, my SMS stuff. So like I never have to worry about doing a SIM swap, really, as long as there's a SIM in the new device, you know? But yeah, it's kind of a hybrid. I use Google's backup tools and I set up the rest from scratch. That's how I do it, too. I'll do Is this it? and I'm like, all right, I'm like, all right let's, let's do this. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm, don't bother me for 90 minutes. I'm setting this yeah. up. Yeah. I, just, I, th I thought I was missing something. I'm like, there's got like, to be a better way. I think switching OnePlus to OnePlus is easy. Samsung to Samsung is easy. Right. But like but anything even, in between. It should be easier, right? Because even when you do the cable to cable, like the most inclusive method of restoring a phone, you still have to go log into everything again, don't yep. you? Everything. Right? It's a bummer. I'm just wondering if there was something that I was, that I was missing in that process. It's probably something we're both missing, but we- oh, Probably. Uh, yeah. This is how it is. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll know it. We're inevitably going to get tweets of like some third party- Absolutely. Like, yeah. Sideloaded app. Have you heard of Wondershare? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what? I got to scroll fast. What's your launcher of choice? So I, I saw you had a weird launcher on your uh, on your flip right there. What is that? Yeah. So I on the fold, I go stock these days, but the flip for such a tall screen, I find Niagara Launcher really works well because Niagara Launcher is like home base is just a very long list of, or a list that is however, as long as you want it. What a great sentence I made. And it allows for one-handed use that's very easy. And it also looks pretty slick, which I think is important. What's the name of that one again? Niagara launcher. Niagara launcher. Niagara. I recommend it. Yeah. I feel like yeah, I, I use it on all my tall phones. Be giving out our code and uh, link down in the description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's an affiliate link in the description. Now, I think Niagara is paid. I think they have a subscription model. And then I think there's a there was a one-time thing, which is what I paid. But yeah. What about you guys? Do you stick with stock on your Android phones or do you, do you custom it up? So I used to almost always customize my Android phones. I think since... One UI got a lot better, and I've got the option to have sort of the Google panel and that kind of thing. Mostly, I'll stick with I'll stick with stock. I used to try to pixelize my phones quite a bit, yeah, like everybody out there. But now I generally find the stock launcher with some customizations to be very solid. Same with I you, leave the phones as they are because I feel that's what the consumer would do. So if I'm going to review it, I want to review it with whatever potential benefits or pain points there would be out of the box. It's very smart. I used to be kind of militant about that. I've loosened up on myself a little bit and I allow myself to make some changes when there aren't significant generational upgrades phone after phone. From a software perspective, Flip 3 versus Flip 5G, not a lot new there. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do the Niagara Launcher and I'll cover the two things that changed. But it's a great point, Andrew. But the other thing is because I do that, I primarily use iPhones for my like personal devices. 
I'm not really that familiar with all the customization options on Android. So I usually, I just use the phone as is, and then you know, I'll go back to my typical phone, which would be the iPhone. So I don't really dive too deep into how I can switch things up. Maybe I'm missing out. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you want to do and it depends on how much time you want to dedicate to it and how bored you are with a thing. Like for me, I log into One UI. John, I agree with you. Samsung has done great things with its Android skin. Still, the first squircle I see, I'm like, get out of my face. (laughs) I do not want this icon pack anywhere near me. Changing it Uh, up right now. It's not untrue. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's move on. All right, Andrew, I'm sorry. I I hijacked your itinerary. I just had a lot of questions. That's fine. No, no. I mean, hey, we're just having a discussion and I think that's great. We don't have to stick to the itinerary. But we do want to talk about, we talked about the flip, and we do want to talk about the fold, right? So yes, we all have the fold. I've got two folds here. Two I've folds. Got two. I've got a Tom Brown here. Ah, look, at, look, at, look at you. It just showed up. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> Man, this year, I didn't place the order. It just showed up. But and Danny Winget. Right. Yeah. Right. Out of nowhere. So this phone to me, the fold, feels... The best way I feel like I can put this is this feels like this goes against John Rettinger's beliefs and heart and soul, I'm sure. I feel like this should have been the first fold and I would have waited two years and not have had the one or two and had this. This feels it's durable. It looks good. It's a tighter build. Everything works. I don't feel like I'm babysitting when I'm using it. I'm not scared. This is great. And I don't feel like a beta tester. Do you think we would have had this one if it wasn't for the first two? That's a good question. I guess I would say yes, because like, okay, for example, let's say Samsung starts getting competition. Let's say Apple's working on a foldable iPhone that's similar to this. I don't think Apple's going to release something that's similar to the first fold. I think they're going to at least be on par build-wise without having to have had that process happened publicly. So I feel like Samsung could have also. Now I get I get that yeah. Samsung and Apple are two different companies with two different approaches. And the way Samsung got here to the Fold 3 was a very Samsung-esque approach. I get that. But I just feel like this phone has some leftover concern from what people experienced from the f- first two, where this phone on its own, I believe, had those not existed, wouldn't have that same kind of trepidation for some people and well-deserved. Like the build quality here is, is so good. Like so many people are saying it's, not much has changed. The build quality and durability of a foldable phone like this is very important and they've leapfrogged themselves, I think. It's hard to disagree. I, I do, I can disagree with, with some of that sediment that, that you said right there. So first, I don't think we would have had this phone if it wasn't for the previous versions. But also, I think Samsung had a real big marketing problem when the Fold launched. Much like we talked about the Palm Pre, that had a horrible marketing problem when that launched, aside from mm-hmm. underpowered hardware. If they had just called this a developer edition, if they had just said it's a Galaxy Fold developer edition, there would have been no issues. Like that, mm-hmm. I, I think they could have kept that first device out. I agree with that. Don't, don't peel off the screen protectors. <laughs> Maybe they add a sticker in the box after the first 100 units go out. And then that's it. You want to develop? Go. But they tried to launch it as a full-fledged yeah, ready to market products. And obviously it wasn't. And I do think that hurt the perception. So I do hear what you're saying about this being the one that really kind of nailed it. But I think that the road was paved by the two that came before it, despite some stumblings. Yeah, I tend to agree with agree with parts of both of your arguments. What strikes me is that the cultural differences in between Samsung and Apple 
and the the way they do business, the the way those those disparities manifest themselves is similar to weirdly to make it a little bit closer to home. You ever run a review late <laughs> all the time and while you're making a review, you're like you kind of look at the landscape and you see other reviews that got some things wrong. And then so you build that knowledge into your review. And as a result, your review is better, even though it was later. I feel like that's kind of how Apple does things. I, by the way, try to give credit whenever that happens. If somebody really took a lot of heat for getting something wrong, I'd be like, uh, I learned this from whoever over at wherever. I feel like that's the thing. Like nobody would have done it. You know, if every company was like Apple, I respect the way Apple does things. But if every company was like Apple, nothing would ever really change, right? It seems like Apple's got that great strategy that we always talk about of sitting back, watching things explode, then get a little better. And now, wow, they're really good, but we can actually do it a lot better. Let's leapfrog that generation. And now we're going to enter. It's very, it's very strategic. It's very smart. Whereas Samsung, for many, many reasons, is like, here it is. Fold one. It'll change your life. Whoops. Okay. Retry. And it's fortunate that Samsung has enough I guess consumer goodwill that they can survive when they do when they do fail, as you have to when you do a new thing. Yeah, yeah. I think Samsung is more of the we do it because we can, and Apple's more of the we do it because we should. Yeah, and obviously there's that's not just a black and white. Like there's yeah a lot of variance sure. there. But do we really need in the S twenty Ultra a one hundred X? Do we, do we really need a hundred X zoom? No. Well, we can. We could put it in there. I don't know. I, I used that S21 Ultra out there the other day, and I was like, do you use 100X, though? No, I don't. No, I don't use 100X. But That's what I'm saying. It, but it's the same hardware in there regardless, so you can go to 100X, <laughs> so put the mode in there, but no one wants to use that. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I do think, though, that there's Samsung has learned, maybe from a chip shortage, but the fact that there wasn't, there's no new note, you know, things like that, like Maybe it's it's you don't always need a million things with a million things in it. Maybe just do a couple of things really well. And I am with Michael. I would rather have looking like an oil painting hundred times zoom and not use a hundred and have like twenty five look awesome. Right. right. And then if I want an oil painting, I've got that option. Instead of <laughs> instead of being like one and a half is all you're gonna get. One and a half yeah. is all you need. And if you want one and a half, buy the really big, most expensive version. No, yeah. no, no. What <laughs> but what what I meant more was I feel like Samsung put in the hundred and then on the next phone, they were like, you know what? We're just going to go to 50. Like we don't, we didn't oh, need to fair. go all the way out. To You're probably right. We are giving Samsung a lot of credit here and a lot of it's deserved. I do want to say before I forget to say it, like there is a giant point of concern here for me. And that's that as nice as that new screen protector is on top, that factory installed PET layer, it looks great. It feels great. It's stronger, whatever. The ultra thin glass down below is still the same. It's the same exact material. And that material cracks. We've seen it documented all yeah. over the place, particularly on Reddit. Just today, I saw the, somebody reporting that their Galaxy Z Flip 3 like broke out of the box, cracked on the, on the seam. So Oof. like, I continue to be concerned about that. Now, if Samsung does not... Look, there's nothing it can do about it. It's shipping these phones with that UTG and they look, this design is locked in, whatever. But Samsung really needs to make sure that its customer service experience is top-notch because if, if a bunch of people start complaining that, hey, my $1,000 flip phone broke of its own accord, and I was treated like crap by Care Plus, formerly Z Premier Service, that is going to be a deserved failure. And Samsung really needs to watch out for that. That's what worries me about the S Pen support. That was the only thing that worried me. Like S Pen support, very cool. Is that pressure point going to potentially have people damaging their screens just by using it the way that they're used to using it with a note? So not really abusing it, just using it in typical everyday fashion like they're used to. 
I hope not. I mean, you would hope with that new layer, it's durable enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at mine now and that new layer. I mean, I think it's doing its job. Like I used the S Pen a ton this weekend and I'm, I'm looking at the fold screen right now. And I mean, there's not a, there is no indication that I drew on it for hours over the past two days. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's move on to the next major phones we're expecting in just a few weeks. So we've been talking about Samsung and Apple. Apple has a lineup of phones coming up shortly. And Mark Gurman gave us a rundown, basically an article and newsletter saying, here's all the features that you can expect in the phone. Now I'm going to run through these. I Please feel do. like he did not give us the full rundown because most of these are for the pro model and the only ones for the non-pro don't tell us anything such as A15 chip. Okay. That's great. Smaller notch across the board, which I don't really consider a feature. Mm -hmm. LiDAR across all models. That is a change for the entry-level devices. And then I think everything else here is going to be pro model only. So new portrait mode algorithms that use LiDAR data. I guess that could be all of them if all of them have LiDAR. Pro motion displays. So up to 120 hertz. ProRes video recording. So for people who don't know, like apps like Final Cut Pro are coded to efficiently handle and edit ProRes. And it's widely used in professional video industry for delivering like final rendered projects. So this would be similar to Pro Raw for stills last year, ProRes video recording this year. Cinematic video, which is similar to portrait mode photos, but for video. And will also allow you to change the amount of blur after the video recording is done, similar to what you can do with photos. That's cool. And then a new filter or color reproduction system that precisely applies changes to objects and people using AI rather than applying a single filter across the entire picture or video. Uh, interesting. That doesn't sound like a full feature rundown, but that is the stuff that Mark reported on for the iPhone, whether it's 12S or 13, coming in about, I would assume, three-ish weeks or so. Listen, that could very easily be the full rundown. Put some fancy marketing names on there. It could, right. And yeah, right. right. A little presentation wizardry, and we'll all be drooling for whatever they decide to uh, <laughs> call it, if we're being honest. How does this stuff sound to you? My salivary glands are not activated, John, I, I have to say. <laughs> it's not that I don't appreciate those features. As we've discussed, I think a lot of us use the iPhone as a run-and-gun yeah. B-roll camera, and it's for mobile video, it's the best there is. It just, it just is. Yeah. So I am excited professionally about some of those features helping me in my job. Do they make me excited as a consumer? Do they get my heart racing faster as a phone fan? They do not. Just for me, and it's at the risk of sounding simplistic, Rectangle got better. Well, great. I remember this. I remember this show. Cool. I'm sorry. I, it, and I sound like a child, or maybe I am, but I just need something a little more exciting. That's all. Personally. That's it. John, where are you at? My expectations for updates for Apple are generally so slow and so low. And I said last year, and I said it a million times, and I'll keep saying it, there's no excuse to not have 120 hertz display in a screen. If that is not something that is available on any professional Apple device, I think they should be ashamed as a manufacturer. I, I, I've heard <laughs> all the did, excuses. You did say it last year. You said it. <laughs> I, I've said it. I think they, I've heard all the excuses of the scale and the fail rate, and they're making so many. We're in 2021. A 90 hertz refresh screen has been around. We're in 2021 where there's a chip shortage. <laughs> is, there, is there a screen shortage? I mean, there probably is a screen shortage too. But I still say they got to have screens anyway on the phones. True. <laughs> <laughs> they got to have screens anyway. <laughs> Perhaps they've been stockpiling them since last year. They didn't put them on their phones. 
So last year, what happened was, so Apple, for people who don't know, they don't do 120 hertz. So a lot of phones that we've seen on Android side, they'll do 90 or 120 hertz, right? And they'll stay there. 90 hertz at all times, 120 at all times. And oftentimes, which you can't do on iOS, the Android phone would say, okay, this is a 2K display, but if you want to run at 90 hertz, we're going to bump down to full HD. So you're going to have to go to 1080p and then you can go 90 hertz. What Apple does is something called ProMotion. That's just one of their fancy terms for it is, now I'm forgetting the word. What's the word where it can go between? It's adaptive. Adaptive, yes. So it can go up to 120 hertz, but it can also ramp itself down. That's what the iPad does. And Samsung wasn't doing that until the the latest Note that came out. It's true. So Apple needed those Note displays, not the S21 displays, which is what we saw on the iPhone 12 yeah, in order needed, to do the adaptive refresh rate. So now that it's, it's been a LTPO year. LTPO that enables that, right? Yes. LTPO displays. Those LTPO yeah. displays, which Samsung can now do, which now allows Apple to do up to 120 hertz without you having to bump down the resolution of the display. So you always get the full resolution on the iPhone. So that was a difference. There were some compromises with some of the other phones that offered this and Apple wanted to do it on OLED the same way they've been doing it on the iPad with LED. But that is the the nerdy description. No one cares about that. You might not know this, but Andrew is excellent at making excuses for Apple. Because I'm just, this is, that was, that was, no, that was an excellent breakdown of technology and how it works in mobile displays. You had me at your fingertips, man. I was, I was tuned in. <laughs> I've been enjoying adaptive refresh rate on my phones recently. I mean, last year I would have said, guys, I'm bored. I don't want to talk about refresh rates. They don't, you can't really see them. They don't matter. And then I tried 60 Hertz for an afternoon on the Z Flip 3. And I was like, oh no, no, I really got used to 120. John, you're right. This is kind of a non-negotiable thing if you're going to be paying this much for a phone. I've said it. I agree with it. I would never say Apple wants or Apple needs or Apple's looking to do this because we have no idea what they're doing. I'm just saying for my money, and that's the only tool I have to speak with, my money and my voice, I'm out. If it's not a high refresh screen, then I am I am done. You're done. I mean, <laughs> I'm I, done with this company. I, I, I mean, not, not done. Like I'm done. I can choose to speak with my, my dollars and people can love iPhone. They can buy them. That's their choice. But I, I'm not going to put my money behind that. How important are cameras these days? Deeply. Yeah. Critically. For the average person, you think it's... I always wonder, is it because I love technology so much that to me, a camera is very important or is it just that's the general sentiment? I see a lot because of pushback. Go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. The Pro devices this year and especially the Pro Max are supposed to be getting an insane camera update. So basically, if you've seen the dummy models, this camera module on the back of this Pro Max is pretty large. It's supposed to be almost twice the size, not exactly, but like 40% large. Like what? Apple is basically the top quadrant of your Pro Max is going to be camera, like Like unabashedly camera. That's cool. And I assume that's how they're doing some some of these camera features that I mentioned earlier. Does this matter to the average consumer or or is the pro phone really becoming, using the word pro, something meant for people who are the techies, the people who would use this for work and not something that the average person really thinks about or cares about? What's crazy is I think like having reused the S21 Ultra recently for comparison purposes, I feel like I have had my appreciation for high-end camera features renewed. Because like, yes, look, if you've had a year like 2020 or for whatever reason, you sit in your house and don't never go anywhere 
or you live in a place where there's nothing to see, then no, you're going to buy something different. But if you live anywhere or routinely travel or you have kids or whatever, like the camera matters. The camera matters a lot more than it did back when it was much more common to see in the comments. Like, if I want a camera, I'll buy a camera. This is a phone, phone in all caps and two words spelled wrong because those people are idiots. But like, <laughs> it is critical now. And having that zoom Regardless of the space penalty on the phone, like when someone sees a photo taken from Governor's Island of the Freedom Tower or the Statue of Liberty, and it is as yeah. crisp as if you had an optical zoom component, like a variable optical zoom on a much more expensive camera, that really does affect people. Like people appreciate yeah. that. And their once in a lifetime trip to New York City or San Francisco or wherever. Right. Well, you should get a camera for that. No, you shouldn't. Shut up. <laughs> Best cameras when you have on you. Right. I mean, there's still some reasons to carry around a traditional camera, but I really find it harder and harder to find what those reasons are. Mm. It did start shocking me about probably three years ago when I had a camera malfunction on a media trip. And, oh. you know, it's one of those trips where you go, you get a bunch of B-roll, you go home, you, you, know, you know, you do your A-roll at home. And so I had to just use my iPhone for my B-roll. And I was like, this is not going to be good. Like, you know, because I'm used to, you know, my my whatever thousand dollar lens and my yeah. five thousand yeah. dollar body. Okay, here's my my iPhone, which was probably a 10s or something at the time. It was just like, I'm gonna be embed. This is gonna be a shame. No one, no one noticed that I was using a, an iPhone as my be. No one, not a single person. Yes, <laughs> I was shocked. And. How much easier was so it? So much easier. It was so much easier. Fiddling it, with the ISO and the shutter, whatever. You're right. just shooting. And it comes out great. For It was Josh Vergara for me on our Hyundai road trip. I was like, Josh, can you get some B-roll under the hood here of this hydrogen sure. cell, whatever? And he's like, yeah, I'll just use my iPhone. I'm like, okay. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting the stuff. And that was a 10S as well. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, shoot. I'm going to start using mine for this. <laughs> Damn yeah. it. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. When you see people do those interviews with Apple executives so not not when apple's doing their keynotes but you'll see like the follow-up interviews they're using iphones for all that yeah the video on their side looks incredible so i kind of agree at least from my sentiment smartphone cameras are i feel like it's almost my number one feature what is a camera doing this year i do wonder if the average person is just like the any phone i get is going to have a good camera that's fair i do wonder if we're, mm. if we're in a bubble because of what we do yeah like for sure. Our perceptions are skewed, which is probably some truth to that. There is. And then it's reinforced, John, by the fact that until these foldables started getting closer to mainstream, the only differences across phone generations, the most major differences were cameras. Yeah, that's very true. You could talk about display and refresh rate and all that stuff, but the camera is the, and it's the most demonstrable way to illustrate the differences for us, right? Because we spend a lot of time on video. Well, let me show yeah. you what these cameras do. So yeah, I think that the bubble, the bubble is is real, no question, but- it's important to stay aware of it, and I think we all are. Okay. Final topic. This one is near and dear to my heart. I feel like John doesn't care about this as much. <laughs> so ahead. I'm curious what Michael Fisher thinks. The rumor is that Apple will be taking the iPad mini and modernizing it, making it a miniature iPad Air. So giving it that same squared off design, giving it that same thin bezel around around the display and giving it that magnetic side to where you can put the second gen mm. Apple Pencil. I've always felt like, I love the iPad. I love pretty much every app. I just love the concept of the iPad and I love the iPad Pro, but I feel and I've always felt that the iPad mini mm. 
is the true iPad. Like the true, I have a tablet that is portable and easy to take with me, larger display, put it in my back pocket if I want to, go where I need it to go, iPad. Every other iPad, despite being stronger, despite being more powerful, despite having better displays, isn't that Star Wars, Star Trek-esque <laughs> device that this is. How do you feel about the iPad mini and does this news excite you or are you kind of over iPads in general or iPad minis? So much conflicting emotion in my brain <laughs> right now. So you are 100% right. You know what you're bringing me back to with that enthusiasm for that smaller form factor? 2012, the Nexus 7. Reviewing the Nexus mm. 7 at my brother's wedding in like Lake Tahoe and being like, oh my God. It's a tablet. I have a lot more room, but I can still kind of squeeze it into my pocket. And yeah. it felt very futuristic. It felt very, and there were other factors to that. I would love to see a modernized iPad mini, and I hope they do it because there's so many reasons to love that. And that form factor, that size really deserves an upgrade because if I'm remembering right, you have to make quite a few compromises right now if you want an iPad yeah. mini. Yeah, right? Yes. The conflicting thing is that, and I'm, I'm a one-note guy this podcast, I'm sorry, but it is true. I swear, I don't take any money from Samsung for saying this stuff. Anytime I use a book-style foldable, like mm. the Fold 2, like the Xiaomi, like the Huawei, it expands to the size of what is effectively an iPad mini, mm. and then I can fold it in half and put it in my pocket. Ever since I started using that form factor regularly, January 2020, I have not used my iPads probably 10%, you know, 90% yeah. as much. Like it has been a precipitous drop off in my use of tablets because I have a tablet in my pocket. That's a very interesting take to me. Now, John, I know you love the iPad. You may not it's love true. the mini, and I don't want to misquote you, but I know you love the iPad in general. I am a man of strong opinions. Has your usage of the iPad <laughs> diminished due to foldables? Nah. I use the giant iPad Pro, and I'm the kind of person, if there was a 15-inch iPad Pro, I'd be waiting in line for it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's what a tablet is. I, the reason I love the Fold and Fold 2 and Fold 3 is, is to have a simulated tablet in my pocket. And I do love that, but it hasn't changed my iPad use at all. It just has expanded huh. on my phone use. It made my phone use a little better. Interesting. Maybe I'm minority on that. I don't think you are. It's different. The reason I said it interested me, what Michael said, was because despite having a foldable Android device, I just don't feel I can get the same tablet experience, whether it's on a foldable Android device or a dedicated Galaxy Tab, when compared to an iOS tablet, like the ecosystem of apps yeah. and especially the uh, native apps. So a lot of the apps, are when you unfold the the Galaxy Fold are just kind of blown up they, and yeah. not really taking advantage of the screen. So that's kind of, for me, that's what kind of distracts me away from it. I take that point 100%. And I think that was one of the early arguments against the first Galaxy Fold is like, hey, this phone becomes an Android tablet. Wait, Android tablets are horrible. <laughs> I get it. But you know, it's, I think maybe that set a lot of my expectations because I was thinking the same way. And then I used the Fold and its subsequent devices, and I was like, those criticisms are valid, 100%. Yeah. But do I actually miss a tablet layout when I'm like bopping around in Telegram and Twitter on the big screen of my Fold? I, I don't. It's nice to hop into the settings and have a multi-pane view. It's nice to go into Evernote and have the same. But like, do I necessarily need it on a screen this size? I personally don't. But it's something that it's a reason to carry a bigger iPad. 
I'm sorry they don't make a 15-inch one for you, John. I want that. I'm holding out for my, my I want a 15 and a 17-inch iPad. I want just I want to, like two hands out, just hold a giant screen. I love I love some of the things John says, especially when we have like the opposite opinion. I want a 17 and I want a 15 or 17 inch screen, and I want there to be inches between icons. I mean, just absolute inches between. Uh, I'm, I'm not that part. I'm joking about, by the way. The Microsoft Surface. What was that thing? That, that yeah, the, they have oh, the like the surface. the surface hub yeah. or something. Yes, that large surface. Yes, yeah. the surface hub. You want a surface hub iOS device? I want that, and I want to use my weather app on it and my Instagram app and my native calculator app and have seven icons per, per row. Oof. <laughs> it hurts. Order. It hurts. You want like a giant version of this too to slap on the back, just a big battery like this, pack? Like the size of my head, like a, oh, pl- yeah. like a dinner plate. You Huge just throw safe. it on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of that, you know what I'm, I just got in that was supposed to be delivered, I think years ago and is finally being shipped. The line dock. Have you guys seen those or used them? What is this? The line dock is, if you look at it real quick, it looks like a MacBook Pro that Apple forgot to cut in half. So it's just a solid brick of like aluminum that, that's the size of a MacBook Pro. Oh, but inside it- Oh, I do know this yeah, thing. Oh, yeah. Your MacBook Pro sits on top of it and it has two SD card slots, a bunch of USB ports, what? a big ass battery for charging and a two terabyte hard drive. And it's big and thin, so you can fit it in a bag alongside your laptop. So, how does this does it stick to it, or is it just you just no, lay it on top? You just of it? lay it down because it's big and heavy, and just connects with with one Thunderbolt. One Thunderbolt. That's right. Yep. Look at that. I've just started using it today. So yeah, it's expensive, <laughs> but it's an interesting solution. You just started using it today, and it's still like the middle of the day. So no, like final review or anything. Not but not yet. No, no. Any first impressions? My first impressions are that it's interesting. I love that it's a cohesive solution that takes right now three things for me to solve. For when I'm working on the on the road, I take a battery pack, I take an external hard drive, and I take a dongle with a bunch of ports. Yeah. The fact that this combines all three of those things into one is very cool, but I have never minded carrying all three of those things separately. And I think even combined the price of all three of those separate things is well short of what the line dock costs. So I'm not sure if the price is actually worth it, but we will see. Can I ask one more question? I know we're going to wrap up and this is alleged, alleged. So I'm not going to, on the podcast, say the company this person works for, Mm. but there's a very popular website that is alleged that one of their writers paid around $500 in Bitcoin in exchange for leaked data from Apple. That was confirmed. The writer confirmed that. The the writer did confirm. I I had not seen that. Yes. The writer has admitted this. Can we talk about this for for a minute? Yeah, feel free. Oh, fill me in. So the the publication is 9to5Mac. I had not seen that confirmation. So I'm going on on Andrew's word on that. Yes. But the author, I'm going to massacre his name, so my apologies. Guy Rambo. Okay. Rambo being the last name. Wrote an article, builds an exclusive look. Some new features for the then upcoming iPad Pro in 2008. In the story, he wrote that sources for development, the new 2018 iPad Pro offer additional details about the device features and more. His source is actually this guy, Andrew Shumako, who like, for years was in this sort of Apple internal community. He was in like a different bunch of forums, was sort of a mole for Apple. Mm. Apple had been working with him. And this, just a, this is a very interesting story on, on sources and paying of sources and the ethics wow. of, of what we do. I was ensnared in something similar to this when Technobuffo, the website, first launched. We had a write-up on Mashable. An author from Mashable reached out. And a few months later, that author had similar things happen. And it was speculated that I had paid him or somebody had paid him because why would somebody cover a new website? 
obviously that 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 never that never had happened. But the ethics of what we do is very interesting. And Michael, I know that you are very clear on yeah. your ethical stance. You have a code of ethics visibly available for anybody to see. Yeah. But things like this, I think, generally hurt the industry as a whole. And I'm sure I'm, I'm assuming nine to five did not know this was happening. I imagine it was done on the writer's own as, as an emissary for the company. Obviously, they bear some responsibility. But it's interesting here when these stories come to light. Because these stories do not often come to light. And I'm sure both of you have had brands probably a while ago, maybe not so recently, off the record, ask for things. Yeah. And off the record, or sometimes on the record, insinuate things that they want to have happen or things they want you to do or things they'll give you or places they'll send you in exchange for things. And I think that's always a cloud that hangs over our view, especially when something's positive or negative, right? How much did Samsung pay you? How much did Apple pay you? What's Microsoft <laughs> paying? Yeah, <laughs> right. In my opinion, these stories, I think, set back the industry pretty far. It's such a tough soup. Go ahead, Andrew. I'm, I don't have a completed thought. I was going to add a little bit of color to what happened there. So Guillermo Rambo is a developer, iOS developer, and he is one of the people who, if you give him, like, here's iOS 15 beta, the download, he can go in and find everything in the beta and say, oh, here's a feature Apple hasn't announced that's buried deep in this file. And so what he would usually do is he would download a beta and he would say, hey, here's what's coming in iOS that we don't, that hasn't been made official yet. So 9to5Mac would report on his findings and then they just allowed him to write his findings on his own. So he was never really a journalist. And that is part of the problem too, I guess. Since he wasn't seasoned, he was just someone with information. Seth, who owns the 9to5 collaborative, collaboration of sites or collection of sites, just gave him uh, an account to start posting. And when he was offered this information, what he first said was, well, 9to5Mac doesn't pay for you know information, unfortunately. And then the person said, well, the information contains X, Y, and Z. I believe it was an early version of the iPhone XR software. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly what it was. And he said, well, I'd pay for that. And so he paid roughly $500 in Bitcoin back then, which is roughly about 3500 today, and wrote his article, 9to5Mac, according to them. And I, I've known Seth a long time, so I believe him. As do I, as do I, by the way. Seth has been very yeah. ethically clean and clear, and I think has been drawn very clear lines for his organization. Yeah. And I, I assume this is just something that, you know, he hadn't thought of. And, you know, this guy is really reliable with his information and his leaks are on point. Let me secure this person for my site so then it becomes our exclusives and other people, when they write about this, they'll be linking to us. It's a, it's a good business move. To someone who isn't a journalist, they were just looking to see how they could get this information and uh, you know, I'll put some Bitcoin out there. <laughs> right. And what 9to5Mac did, as soon as they found out about this, they deleted the article in its place. They wrote about what happened and said, that's why this article no longer exists. So the information is no longer out there that we got unethically. But yeah, John, I remember iPhone 4, I was one of the people that they offered, it was either like 5000 or eight something like that, $8,000. Hey, I have this new, I have this iPhone, $8,000 and you can, you can have it. Jeez. And this was early in my career. This was two, iPhone 4, like 2010, I guess. So I guess I've been doing it for about five years, yeah. six years at the time. It was, as far as newsworthiness goes. I still remember when Gizmodo published that. Oh, everybody! The biggest everybody remembers tech like, where, article where they, in the history. So you were offered that. Yeah. You were offered that device. I was offered that phone, and wow. I was like, I so badly wanted to say yes. It just didn't feel good. It mm -hmm. just, 
and I didn't have all this seasoning. I'm self-taught, self-trained in everything I do. So I didn't have like this seasoned, here's my ethical stance on everything, but it just felt wrong. You're sell, you're trying to get me to buy something that doesn't yeah. even belong to you. So you found it. It's stolen for you know for lack of a better term. And I just couldn't do it. And then so the guy that ended up doing it on Gizmodo was actually a good friend of mine. He worked for Gizmodo. He didn't own them, but they were like, We're buying the phone. You're gonna be the one to do the article. And the end result was his apartment getting raided, all of his tech Crazy. getting raided, he like all his computers getting taken. It was crazy. His wife's stuff taken, like all of this, all because of chasing the headline, yeah. right? And the owner of Gizmodo, like all that stuff didn't happen to him. It happened to the journalist yeah. who didn't even pay for it. You know what I mean? So yeah. that to me became the benchmark of, or here's what can happen if you don't do things the right way. Yeah. Always do things the right way. Even if you're not the first, even if you're not, you know, there's something to be said for integrity, especially yeah. in what we do where you, it could be lacking in a lot of areas. I think integrity is what makes you last so long. Like, John, you've been around as long as I have. I don't know that I can name another person who had tech bylines in 2004, 2005, <laughs> who still does it today. I don't know that I can. I have stories, though. I never knew that you had offered to, to get that iPhone 4. Mm-hmm. We had an option to get one of the... Remember the iPhone 5C leaked like crazy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it did. We actually had the very first case that leaked for that, you know, the outer shell for it. And source said, we have it. Nobody had seen it yet. Took a different approach. I actually bought it and sent it back to Apple. Sent it to Tim Cook with a note. What? What? My business partner at the time was very well connected. His father was an early investor in Apple. He said, I want to do this. He Uh said, I want to do this. He said, if we don't buy it, that's maybe ethically questionable as well. He rewarded somebody, but took it off and somebody would do yep. it. He wanted to buy it. And then we sent it to, he had Tim Cook's, through his, through his family, Tim Cook's address and, and private email. So emailed and then sent it back to, to Apple where it belonged. So you knew it got to them. I mean, we never heard back. Got to I, would have, I would have liked to have heard back. Right, I would have liked right. to have heard back in all yeah, fairness. Yeah, would have been nice. So yeah. <laughs> but no, never heard. Never heard I feel it. like if it was Steve, you would have heard something. Never heard anything. Never heard anything yeah. back. But I think everybody has some sort of story like that. Yeah, it's funny. It's so weird because I feel like this conversation is from another era. Yeah, it's you very, know, very even though this we're like the old curmudgeons. The news story that just brought it up. Well, it is right because it's like 15 years ago was a huge thing. Like, oh man, we're gonna have whole panel discussions for three days on paying for exclusives and like the actual work of journalism. Where, as all three of us know, it is such a complicated morass now in the age of the influencer, where that. That side of the business pays for what we do, where it's like in between nine posts of earned organic stuff where it's like unbiased pseudo journalistic coverage of smartphones. Yes, I'm being paid to promote an electronic toothbrush. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's so much more complicated now. And that's why the disclosures are so complicated. And by the way, I can't wait because someone's going to light me up at some point for saying taking money from a manufacturer to fly to London for an event so I can see the phone and they put me up in a hotel and they've flown me over there. That is not abnormal. Sure. As we all know, we all do that. And I have disclosed that from day one, but everything gets twisted around. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, I thought you didn't do any of this stuff. I thought you paid for it. I'm like, I've never said that. Look, it's, it's all written right here, but it's a 2,500 word document. Nobody wants time to read that. Right. (laughs) So it's so complicated these days that it is the only thing we can keep doing from a simple standpoint is making sure everyone knows 
when we're doing A versus when we're doing B. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's the thing that's been consistently respected by the three of us here on the on the air, which is why why we all respect each other, right? Where it's like, hey guys, this is an ad versus mm-hmm. hey guys, I've had this phone for two weeks, it's a review device. Here's some disclosures at the end if you need them, but like this isn't a paid content. Abs- no? Absolutely. That's the thing we have to keep doing. Yeah. And I think there's also like a weird mindset thing. Like I know Things have gotten better over the years with yes. disclosing sponsored stuff. Thankfully. But I remember like five years ago, people who would post something sponsored and they would want to hide the fact that it was sponsored. Yes. yes. Oh, shady. And I, what I would say is, I don't even thought, think they put much thought into it. But what I said was like, when you hide something, it's because you feel like you're doing something wrong and you don't want someone to know. Yep. That's why people would typically hide something, right? Yes. I don't want people to know that I've done this. The reason why I disclose, and this might, I don't know if it sounds conceited or whatever, but it's like, I'm disclosing because I'm proud. I'm proud that the work I've done got me to a point where a company that 10 years ago, I just admired from afar and bought their products now comes to me and says, hey, would you talk about our product? Like that to me still blows my mind. And it's so rewarding in a way. I want to, hey, this video was sponsored by whatever, because- they want to tell my audience about their product like that I've cultivated and, and worked to build up. Like to me, that's so cool. Why do you want to hide that? And again, it's nice that it's it's changed over time. But I just remember that earlier days where yeah. people just didn't want to let people know. I love that because Andrew and I were sitting, we're sitting in Hawaii for the first Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit. And we were sitting with some of our friends from Qualcomm. And Andrew, you said something very similar to them. And I thought it was... I thought it was a very cool thing to say, and I, I, it came from the heart, and I really respected it. But something in my face betrayed my my own feelings about that. So our Qualcomm friends were like, now, Michael, you look like you don't agree. I'm like, I do not. I get most of my satisfaction from being able to call you guys on your BS. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, this will work better than anything you've ever owned. I'm like, I don't think that's true. Here's a 10-minute video exploring whether that's true, <laughs> yeah. right? But it is funny, right? Because I do feel that way about like when CBS calls me up or when Amazon calls me up and says, would you do a post about The Expanse? Oh, are you kidding me? Can I help you promote your awesome sci-fi show? Yes, I will right. happily do that in a sponsored capacity. So I get where you're coming from. It's just funny. Like, Everyone has their own lines that they draw. And as long as we're very clear about where we draw them, yeah. then it's important to do that. And thank you for reminding me because I forgot to disclose that on that Instagram post the other day that Motorola took us to Yankee Stadium and that I didn't pay for my ticket for the ball game I didn't want to see. So I have to do that <laughs> when we hang up here. Thank you for reminding yes, me. Yes, yes. And it's nice that all these tools now have that built into. Like yeah. If you have a sponsored post, you can easily integrate that and show people and there's an area yep. Where it'll divulge that and everything. Twitter doesn't have it, but pretty much everything else does. Anyway, yeah. Mr. Mobile, thank you for taking the time. Big clapping. Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher. Are you kidding me? Thank you. The thanks are mine to give. You guys are just great to hang with as always. And I love talking about this stuff. I especially love talking about it with you. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Cannot wait to see you in person again. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Amen to that. God, it can't come soon enough. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Yeah. Amen. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one. 
in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.